along to Edie's Net Zero Navigators podcast, our spin-off podcast series focusing on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with climate science by setting net zero emissions goals. I'm Edie's senior reporter, Sarah George, and I'll be presenting this episode, so a very warm welcome to you. We've been running this series in the form of the Net Zero Business podcast since the UK set its net zero target in law for 2050 last year. Since that moment, more and more businesses and public sector organisations have been attempting to get ahead of the curve by strengthening their carbon and energy strategies and pledging to become net zero well before the 2050 deadline. This series sees the ED team speaking with the trendsetters and trailblazers that have set these targets to get insight on just how much work went into getting them up and running. So each of these episodes features one in-depth interview with a business that has committed to a net zero strategy. To mark Net Zero November 2020, our special month of themed content, we'll be having a new episode every week. In the last episode, I spoke with coffee giant Nespresso after it unveiled an ambition to become a carbon neutral business by 2022. Nespresso UK's managing director, Guillaume Chesneau, who played an instrumental role in the development of this goal, provided us with a deep dive into offsetting and addressing scope three emissions. And he also provided his views on how COVID-19 has impacted the corporate climate conversation. This time around, we're taking a closer look at LSE's plans to achieve carbon neutrality for the academic year of 2020 through 2021 and to become a net zero university by 2050 or sooner. LSE has already reduced emissions from direct operations by an impressive 38% since 2005 through investments in insulation, building energy management systems, water efficiency technologies, low energy lighting and 100% renewable electricity. But what has to happen to accelerate this progress? What role will offsetting play? And what do LSE's staff and students make of these plans? In this episode, we're speaking to LSE's Head of Sustainability, Charles Jolie, to find out the answer to these questions and more. So without further ado, here is that discussion in full. Well, good morning. It's absolutely delightful to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me here today. Um, anytime. And I think it's your first time on the ED podcast, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm really excited. Um, great. So for, for everyone that's listening, um, could we have a brief introduction to sort of your role and, and remit and maybe your career as well? Yeah, of course. Um, well, I'm originally from France, so the accent. Uh, but I came to study in the UK and I went on to work in the sustainability industry for the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started my career as an environmental consultant in Scotland, advising public and private sector clients. Uh, and then I progressed to in-house corporate roles. So first with the University of Portsmouth and then the National Health Service and more recently the Bank of England as head of mm-hmm. CSR. And I've been delivering sustainability initiatives and programme tailored to each organization needs and scope for impact. Um, and then I joined the London School of Economics in London in 2019. Uh, I lead a team of five sustainability professionals, helping LSE to maximize its impact in shaping a sustainable future. My role at LSE has got two separate dimensions. First, me and my team have direct responsibility for the operational aspects of the LSE sustainability program. So reducing our carbon emissions and environmental impacts. And then the second dimension of my role is more for cross-cutting 
coordinating role across the school, engaging at all levels to further embed sustainability in all aspects of the school activities, mm -hmm. such as education, research, etc. Find universities really interesting sustainability piece because there just are all those extra dimensions that you touched on um, there. But obviously, it is coming up for net zero November. Um, and the big announcement from LSE recently was plans to become the UK's first carbon neutral university for the 2020-2021 um, academic year. So what are you going to be doing with your team to make the university meet, meet that target? Yes, yeah, so um, LSE will be becoming uh, carbon neutral this year. And really, thanks to years of hard work uh, reducing our emissions, over the last five years, we've invested close to five million pounds in energy efficiency projects across the campus, and we've reduced our carbon emissions linked to our energy use by 38% since 2005. Our buildings are you know, designed, built, operated to the highest systemity and energy standards, and we buy 100% of our electricity from renewable sources. So all these means that we've reduced the volumes of our residual measured emissions to a point where it is possible and affordable to mitigate them in full purchasing high quality certified carbon credits. But for us, being carbon neutral is an important milestone, but it's very much just a step on our journey to net zero as we continue to take really strong action to reduce our carbon emissions. And I see that the net zero deadline at the moment is is 2050. Um, so what are some of the things that the university is doing that will be a little bit more challenging that can't be done in 2021 um, that, that do need to be to be tackled? Yeah, well, um, as I said, you know, like the offset's just a step on the journey and uh, LSE takes a really systematic approach to measure, reduce and mitigate our emissions. So reducing is at our priority at all times. Um, and we're currently working with external consultants to develop our next carbon management plan. So we are modeling a pathway to net zero and trying to understand what is going to be um, a, a cl climate science-based uh, reduction pathway and what are the reduction opportunities. So for instance, especially on our use of gas, uh, what are the technologies we could use to decarbonize uh, our heat? Um, and we've already done a lot, so now it's starting to be a bit harder. <laughs> mm. No, I feel like a lot of a lot of organisations are either at that point or are going to get there um, in in the in the near future. Yeah, and then another challenge is, for instance, our business travel, because um, as a university, we've got an international presence. And our academics and researchers connect with many other organizations around the world. So there is um, air travel was going on before COVID, less now, obviously. Uh, but it is a, a tricky topic because how do you balance uh, the environmental needs to reduce travel with the need to network and interact with others across the world? But I think, you know, COVID has brought really interesting perspectives that it's made a lot of people realize that actually you can collaborate uh, without taking a flight. Mm. Uh, and I hope we can capitalize on that uh, and really, you know, do a big push not to rebound in terms of our uh, business travel. Mm. 
And obviously, business travel emissions are uh, a form of scope three emissions. So does does LSE count all scope three emissions? And then where does scope one and two um, come in accounting for the for the new targets? So when it comes to uh, measuring a common footprint, uh, we've got an excellent grip on our scope one and two emissions. And then we measure uh, accurately uh, only some of our scope three. So for instance, our waste, our water, uh, our business travel booked through you know, our central uh, supplier. But then there's scope three emissions further down the lines, which are a bit more of a black box. So especially when it comes to the goods and services uh, we purchase, we have an indication of how, how much emissions are behind it because we use a, a cost proxy to understand uh, the emissions of those. But we know there's a lot more work. So when it comes to the carbon neutral commitment, we're only doing this for the emissions we currently measure. But when it comes to our net zero targets, like in the longer future, those cover all our emissions, including our scope three for our supply chain. Mm-hmm. Great. I just wanted to ask that because I think that that is something that a lot of organisations are going to have to be dealing with, sort of how to measure and where where to focus. I think, you know, as an organisation, we have uh, a duty and to focus on the emissions we've got the most influence on and like, you know, get our own house in order first. Um, and then once you've done that, you can start engaging a bit wider. Um, but obviously, you know, on the scope three emissions in the supply chain, it's difficult for us to take, you know, very challenging uh, targets because they rely on others like to, to do their bit. So, like, we need to have some confidence that our suppliers will be able to kind of like accompany us on the same journey and the same pathway to be able to commit ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a longer engagement exercise, right? Definitely. So that's why for us, uh, we've got an N0 target for our scope one and two emissions, which is 2030. So, you know, it's a stretching but realistic target because those emissions are under our direct influence. But then uh, when it comes to our scope three emissions, it's a, quite a bigger headache. And, you know, as I said, they rely on a vast number of suppliers. So for our scope three emissions, we have set a longer 2050 target, which, you know, may seem quite a long uh, time away. Uh, but we need to gain more clarity on, like, uh, how we can bring that forward. And something I want to clarify, because I'm sure a lot of people are grappling with this definition, is how exactly are you differentiating between net zero and and carbon neutral? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. That's a really good question. And at LSE, we make an important distinction between our net zero and carbon neutral targets. There are several definitions out there for net zero, but ours is informed by the work of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And net zero for us means actual carbon reductions in alignment with climate science and 1.5 degree world combined with carbon removal methods for residual emissions. So that's a net in net zero. Um, And on this basis, achieving net zero for any organization is very challenging and will need to be supported by systemic change from all sectors of the economy. And then carbon neutral on the other hand, is somehow a simpler action of mitigating the emissions an organization emits, usually by purchasing carbon reduction type offsets, which you know will go on to fund energy efficiency projects abroad. And that's got its benefits in itself because 
it is contributes to carbon reductions globally and contributes to the transition to a low carbon world. But I think you know it's quite a difference between mitigating and actually delivering the actual carbon reductions, which is the prize and should always be the focus. Mm -hmm. Great, and we've we've talked quite a lot there about the technicalities um, of of the target, but I think they have a really interesting design um, process as as well. So the climate targets that we're talking about are part of a new strategic plan for the university's sustainability. Um, and that was co-created with, I understand, the students' union, um, different groups of students and different groups of, of, of staff. It would be great to hear a bit more about um, what that process was like and what some, some learnings you took from that were. Yeah, of course. Well, you know, from the very start, we recognise the, the need for the whole LSD community to, to have an opportunity to shape a system strategic plan. And we achieve this connecting an open sustainability consultation with all staff, students, alumni and friends of LSE invited to join the discussion. And the consultation comprised a series of events on specific themes, allowing for in-depth conversations and brainstorming. And an important feature of those was the opportunity to hear directly from a range of LSE student groups and departments bring really diverse perspectives to the conversation and uh, a really healthy debate of ideas in true spirit of a university. Um, and everyone was also encouraged to undertake an online consultation survey on an individual basis to make their voice count. And I think a clear outcome of all that was a really strong appetite for action expressed by the ASC community, which also gave you know, a really strong mandate uh, for all this. Um, you know, when we were developing the strategy and engaging the directors about it. And the, the survey also and the consultation gives a clear understanding of the LSC community views on a number of key topics, such as the use of common offsets, which, you know, they told us is something they were really keen for us to do, even though it's a very controversial topic. So, you know, some people don't disagree with it, but overall, like the support was quite overwhelming that it was the right thing to do as a step on our journey. Um, so it's been like a really interesting process and I think bringing diversity of thought to the table really bring better outcomes and solutions which are more likely to be successful in the long run. This consultation and co-creation really creates ownership. It's a longer process but it sets really strong foundations for robust and effective strategy which everyone feels invested in. And you mentioned ownership there, and I know you said you've got five sustainability professionals, but obviously other departments at the university are going to have to play a part in, in delivering this, I'm assuming. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, like I see the role of the team just as a centre of expertise. But uh, the trick, as all systemic professionals know, is about embedding across the organisation and for others to take the lead and you know, embed system in the business as usual. So the good thing is that ILSEs is already a culture of sustainability and we've got different mechanisms for, for instance, uh, staff and students to lead change in their local areas. We've got uh, an employee engagement program called Green Impact. We also got uh, students groups and societies which are leading their own projects supported by the team, but with a, real, a great level of independence. And We've got other mechanisms to ensure there's uh, ways to get involved uh, in the process and the decision making. So, for instance, um, we're going to have regular tunnel style events for everyone in the community to have a chance uh, 
to be informed, but also to express their views and feed into the process. And then we've got director level honors for each of the six themes of the strategic plan. So that means that, you know, you've got really good accountability across the themes and uh, again, ownership, which is really important. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, I think we've touched a lot on this question here, but it's one that we're asking all of our speakers this month in the spirit of the theme of um, Net Zero November. And that was just to ask about how the net zero mo movement is changing your your career or your role role and remit and i know you mentioned there about um embedding um and accountability and i know that lse has been looking at emissions reduction sort of very much pre ipcc report um any anyway yeah i mean you know there is definitely a growing sense of urgency and momentum um and I think there's a lot of focus on carbon, but we also uh, need not to forget all the other impacts, which, you know, may be small on a carbon perspective, uh, are really important on other aspects. So, for instance, biodiversity and ecological impact. Um, but, you know, the, the rise of environmentalism, which we've seen, I think is only going to accelerate. And it's really going to put pressure on policymakers to take decisive action. and. In my early days as a sustainability professional, environmental issues were almost an issue topic. Um, so it's been quite extraordinary to see the unstoppable rise of awareness on the topic. But sometimes it puts quite a lot of pressure on us as sustainability professionals, and it's quite a burden on our shoulders. <laughs> so I think you know it's nice, for instance, to have places like you know the Eddy networking to share that with others and kind of like have like peer support and also i think for outside of our uh, profession people need to realize that they're gonna have to take the lead and that you know they can't rely on us to like drive this whole transition like we're transitioning to a new world and uh, it can't be just sustained professionals doing it like we need to be all in it together yeah i can imagine it would be a bit daunting if your to-do list was was sort of uh wake up Go to my meeting, write this article, PS, save the entire world. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit of a heavy burden. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I think that's all the questions we have for this episode, but it's been a complete pleasure having you on board today. Thank you so much, Sarah. My pleasure and any time. So thanks again to Charles from LSE there, and Edie will no doubt be keeping an eye on the university's next sustainability announcements. You might have noticed during that discussion that Charles is appearing at Net Zero Live 2020, Edie's flagship conference hosted this year in association with EDF Energy. That event is taking place from Tuesday the 10th of November through to Thursday the 12th of November, and for the first time ever has been moved online. It's free to attend and you can find a full agenda by visiting netzerolive.com. Um, I'd encourage you to go check it out because we've got some great speakers lined up, including the Committee on Climate Change's Chairman Lord Deben, Unilever's Chief Supply Officer Mark Engel and MP Bim Afalami. Of course, the Net Zero movement has been gathering pace far beyond the walls of LSE and ED and all the businesses involved in our events. So with that in mind, it's time for our Net Zero News in Brief. Over the past month, there have been some pretty big developments in the Net Zero conversation, even amid the global pandemic. So I'm going to pull out the top three stories for you now to get you up to speed. 
Firstly, I have to mention that South Korea and Japan have both committed to set legally binding net zero targets for 2050. The nations are both major economies but are at present fairly dependent on coal. So while the announcements were welcomed, all eyes are on Asia now for the next steps for the delivery of these targets. Secondly, Primark has signed the UN's Charter for Fashion, which binds it to delivering a net zero value chain by 2050. The Charter covers all Scope 3 emissions and all territories. In signing the Charter, Primark joins names like H&M Group, Levi Strauss, Kering and Inditex, which owns Zara. Last but by no means least, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development has launched a new net zero criteria for all joining and existing members. There are 200 existing members, including Shell, BP and Volkswagen. The council wants to see its existing and potential members setting net zero targets with a deadline of 2050 at the absolute latest and backing them up with what it calls science-informed plans. Before I sign off for this episode, I'd like to take a moment to reiterate that Net Zero Live is nearly here. It's going to be held virtually from Tuesday the 10th of November through to Thursday the 12th of November, covering business leadership and resource management as well as decarbonisation. Whether you're interested in exhibiting or attending, you can find all the information you need at netzerolive.com. Well, we're just about out of time, and I'd like to thank you all for joining me on our Net Zero Navigators podcast. If your organisation has a Net Zero story, please email me and let me know. I'm at newsdesk at fav-house.com. We'll be running these episodes every week throughout November 2020, and after that, the team will be back with our usual sustainable business-covered format in due course. Please do subscribe and follow the ED podcast portfolio on SoundCloud, iTunes or Spotify. And for more Net Zero news, the ED website and email newsletters will be your go-to. The sign-up button for the newsletter is in the top right-hand corner of our homepage, ed.net. But until next time, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.